This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real. You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for? There's something going on out there tonight. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What would fairies really look like? Really look like? What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me? Me. Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly. Last time, we'd heard from a young woman recalling Maria who'd indicated that, although she didn't believe she'd actually had a sexual experience in the woods, she did say that she believed she'd had a sexual experience of some kind in her dreams. The police believed she'd been protecting one or all of the young men who were with her that day. DNA testing ruled out all three of them as the father of Maria's daughter. So, was there somebody else in the woods that day? Or is it possible that something else may have taken place? Fairy is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify. From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Wales, you're listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. to Maria out there in the woods is her story. All we can do is ask questions and examine the evidence. She stated that she'd had some kind of sexual experience in a dream, a nightmare, she called it. The police ruled out the three young men as Maria's daughter's potential father, but that didn't necessarily rule them out as suspects in some kind of sexual assault. I managed to track down all three of the young men who'd gone missing with Maria, 
but none of them were willing to speak to me about their experiences in the woods. Last episode, Waters mentioned a second disappearance, a group of teenagers that had gone missing in the woods around Olympia, Washington. All we know so far is that three teenagers were hiking and have yet to return home. We've spoken to a couple of people in the area. So far, no mentions of circles of stones or mysterious children's songs. We haven't been able to find any additional information on Maria and her friend's month-long disappearance either, so we're going to respect Maria's request for privacy and no longer speculate on anything related to her child or her pregnancy. We will, however, continue to dig into some of the more esoteric claims and facts surrounding all of these disappearances, including the thing Maria referred to as the earworm. But first, I had a brief conversation with Elliot Waters about Margot Kinghorn. It turns out, unbeknownst to me, Waters had gotten in touch with Margot Kinghorn on his own. For some reason, he'd wanted to speak with her before I did. I asked you to come in because I'd like to discuss the fact that you contacted Margot Kinghorn yourself outside of our investigation. I needed some information. I'm considering suspending production of this podcast, or at the very least, trying to imagine what it might look like without your involvement. I think that would be a mistake. Frankly, at the moment, I'm not all that concerned with what you think. I understand your concerns. When we met and discussed this show, Yes. We agreed that we would share all of our information. Correct. And I haven't kept anything from you. I don't believe that your speaking with Margot Kinghorn on your own was acting within the spirit of our agreement. We don't have an official agreement. The tacit implication was that we'd be investigating this material together. If you're not willing to commit 100% to sharing everything and investigating all avenues together, then I'm afraid this collaboration is over. Mr. Waters? I understand. And? And I'd like to continue working together. So would I. What can I do to make that happen? What made you decide to speak with Margot Kinghorn in private? I was concerned that you might involve the police and that they might shut down your investigation. It wasn't to prep her, feed her information to pass along to me, to make your story more sensational? What? No, that's not... Do you believe that's what I'm doing? You told me yourself that you're trying to attract attention, to force them to listen, to reopen the department. Yes, but not by manipulating you or manufacturing a story. You're sure? Yes. I promise. I'm not lying to you. Tell me everything you learned in your private conversation with Margot Kinghorn. Okay. Well, it wasn't much. She spoke with me for a grand total of about a minute from a payphone outside a motel somewhere in Idaho. What did she say? She told me to talk to the parents. That there were things going on we couldn't understand. That she wasn't safe. That they were after her. 
They. Who's they? I thought she was referring to the Fey folk, but now I'm not sure. What do you mean? I mean, there's something going on in Kettle Falls. Something else. Kettle Falls. That's the town where Margot Keenhorn and the missing children are from. Yes. We'll get back into that part of the investigation soon. In the meantime, we received an update from the demon. I got a hit on the people who messed with your phones. You'll remember last episode, we were followed by a silver SUV, and somebody, most likely related to the occupants of that vehicle, hacked Waters' phone. What did you find? It took a lot of work. What is it? You're not going to like it. Just spill. NSA. NSA. Well, an arm's length organization, but it all leads back to them. You're sure? Positive. So are they officially sanctioned or rogue? It's hard to say. You can't find out? Even I have limits. I can't believe I'm hearing this. I can't believe I found out I have limits. Can you find out if they're officially sanctioned? I'll try. Also, I'd like to know if anybody connected with this arm's length NSA offshoot is former department or has ties. I'll see what I can dig up. What would the NSA want with the two of us? Does the NSA know about the department? It's unlikely. The CIA? FBI? No. I mean, they would have heard rumors, but no. Not unless they were former department operatives. Are you serious? The department is that secret. Aren't I always serious? Kinda, yeah. I'll let you know if I find anything. Thanks. Thanks. So, the demon was going to look into why somebody affiliated with the NSA might be following us and hacking our phones. I was sitting in my office, going over everything we learned so far. There were suddenly a large number of avenues to pursue involving my investigation, an investigation that began with my stopping a stranger from stepping off the curb and into the street. I called Elliot Waters and asked him to tell me everything he knew about the earworm. Where would you like me to start? We've heard a couple of references to the earworm related to Maria in the month that she and her friends were missing in the woods. How about let's start there? You may be missing a reference. What do you mean? Margot Kinghorn. What about her? She mentioned something called the Night Song of the Banshee, something she claimed was the 57th poem in the Book of Taliesin. Okay, so... What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure it means anything, but I am sure there are only 56 poems in the Book of Taliesin. That might be something. Maybe. What do you know about the Book of Taliesin? Not a whole lot, but I do know somebody who does. Do you mind? Go ahead. 
Do you have to record everything? Would you like me to turn it off? If my stealing french fries off his plate is of interest to your audience, by all means, keep rolling. That's Dr. Zoe Angles. She's Elliot Waters' friend and currently a researcher in residence at the University of Washington. She previously taught Anglo-Saxon, Norse, and Celtic Tripos, or ASNC, at Christ College in Cambridge. Dr. Angles has wild black hair with a two or three inch gray shock that splits the left side. She's medium height, but feels taller somehow. I listened to the first few episodes of your show. What do you think? Fascinating. Really? Oh yeah, I love this stuff. It's right up my alley. But I'm still shocked you convinced Elliot to let you record him. Not as shocked as I am. So, what is it you'd like to talk about? Night Song of the Banshee, the 57th poem in the Book of Taliesin. It sounds like a 70s prog rock album, doesn't it? It totally does. <laughs> Did you guys know that Deep Purple actually released an album called The Book of Taliesin? They spell it a little differently, but it's the same. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. I wonder if it's on Spotify? It is. Cool. So, do you think this night song of the Banshee could be related to something called the earworm? There are many versions or legends or rumors concerning a verse or song that kills you or results in some kind of punishment or harm. Harm, like people disappearing in the woods. Maybe, but there's something else. What? Well, it's said in times when the fade is farther away, harder to access. This song can bring the bridge between the worlds closer. To let something step over into our side. Wow. How familiar are you with the Bible? Not very, I'm afraid. What about the Gnostic Gospels? Nope. All right, well, this is from around the first century AD from something called the Apocalypse of Adam, when Adam was 700 years old. Adam was 700 years old? The characters in these religious texts are often blessed with rather long lifetimes, yes. <laughs> Lucky them. Adam tells Seth he learned something from Eve, a secret, a word or phrase that made him more powerful than God. But when he was separated from Eve by the Demiurge... Sorry, the Demiurge? A kind of a uh, subcontractor for God. Wow. So, in the Apocalypse, Adam talks about a bunch of stuff. How three strangers were responsible for the information and preservation of this powerful knowledge about the Demiurge plotting to overthrow mankind and how an Illuminator will come. But of the 13 kingdoms with different and confusing Illuminator lore and legends, only the generation without a king will recognize the true path. This is all pretty intense. It gets heavier. Wow. The split between the creator and the Demiurge is interesting, as I think it pertains directly to the mythology of fairy. How? A couple of centuries later, followers of the Neoplatonic school considered the Demiurge the fashioner of the real world, the concrete, perceptible world. But the Neoplatonics posited the dual system, another world, the world beyond the veil. This information is accurate, but the conclusion, the existence of the veil, is speculative. The ideology of the Gnostic system is arch-dualistic, for sure, but the existence of two worlds separated by a veil is a stretch. 
the demiurge in these histories is... Mythological histories. Agree to disagree. You haven't changed at all. There is something else. What? The demiurge is always portrayed as malevolent, evil, and intent on destruction. The demiurge is referred to as one who feeds in various texts from this era. That sounds familiar. But that's only one of many names. But wait, so this demiurge exists in the material world? Our world? Well, that's up for debate. What do you mean? Most scholars have it the other way, that the world of the demiurge is... The Fade. Another plane of existence. The flip side of the Gnostic duality. Hell, for a lack of a better term, the dark to complement the light. There's a myth or legend about an extremely dangerous verse or poem that was removed from the Book of Taliesin and hidden. What's the myth say about the missing verse? If you read it aloud in a place of power, it allegedly opens a portal between the worlds. As described by the Welsh bard Taliesin, it was a gateway to hell. A gateway to hell? Which brings us to what you're calling the earworm. You've heard of it. I've heard of it, yes, but I've never heard it described as a missing verse from the Book of Taliesin. That's quite interesting. Really? Yes, but the existence of that verse is unlikely. But not impossible. No, not impossible. There are other similar references. Like what? Are you familiar with Gosha? Um, no. It's a practice that, among other things, involves summoning demons. Demons? Yeah, demons like the creatures King Solomon conjured. King Solomon from the Bible? Precisely, yes. Also, King Solomon from the Keys of Solomon. Wait, isn't that kind of Aleister Crowley related? Yes, we pronounce his name Crowley. I've been pronouncing it wrong for quite a while. You're not alone. Rabbinical literature tells us that Solomon was rewarded with a glorious realm, a place separate from the terrestrial world. The Ars Gosha is the first part of the Lesser Key of Solomon, and it describes the 72 demons Solomon evoked. That's a lot of demons. And, per what Elliot mentioned on your podcast earlier, there is some wiggle room with the definition there, especially in earlier versions of the Gnostic Gospels. What do you mean? She means there's no difference between demons and the Fae. Really? It's true. Yes, fairies, or the Fae, have been with us, mythologically speaking, for a very long time. And the song, or whatever it is? If it exists, it may be an evocation that's been around since the days of Solomon. Wow. There have been rumors of a contemporary version of this evocation. An urban legend of a killer nursery rhyme. A song that smites your enemies. A poem that, when read aloud, grants wishes. The earworm. Yes. I first heard that term actually about five years ago in England. It was in one of my intro classes. A young student, one of the brightest actually, started missing class, zoning out. When I expressed my concerns, she told me that she was just tired and that she'd do her best to pick up her work. But soon after, she stopped coming to class altogether. I asked one of her friends, and although it took a bit of effort, I was eventually able to pry it out of him. What was it? What happened? He told me that she was gone, and that she wouldn't be coming back. And when I asked him why, he told me. He said she'd heard the earworm. 
References to the earworm are allegedly all over the dark net or the deep web. I'm not very well versed in that type of investigation, but apparently Waters had some experience digging into that world. The student Zoe mentioned, the one who left her class in England? Well, it turns out she left more than her class. What do you mean? I mean she disappeared. Completely. You're sure? Positive. And there's something else that's interesting. Okay. In deep web forum discussions involving students who knew or were friends with the student who disappeared. Yes? She wasn't the only one. What do you mean? I mean, two other students allegedly heard the earworm with her. And? And they're gone. They're dead? Maybe. I haven't been able to get confirmation either way. I should clarify that although Elliot Waters told me that those students were dead or missing, he hasn't been able to dig up any concrete evidence to support that claim. I'll keep you posted on that part of our investigation, but in the meantime, I received a call from the police regarding another disappearance. I'd love to play the message I received from a Seattle detective, but I haven't been able to get permission, so I'll paraphrase. We've been asked to provide all the information we have on Margot Kinghorn, the woman who called into the show asking for our help. She's from Kettle Falls, Washington, and she's currently the lead suspect in the disappearance of a child who went missing while under her care. Because none of her previous phone numbers are working and they've been unable to get in touch, the police have asked me to send Margot Kinghorn a message. So here goes. Margot, if you're listening, please turn yourself in immediately. The police assure us you will be treated fairly and respectfully. In between recording this episode and releasing our last, we have received an additional message from Margot Kinghorn. She's indicated that the police will ask us not to play her messages on the air, but if we refuse to play them, Margot has indicated she will cease all contact with us immediately. After some back and forth with the police at their request and with the permission of the missing child's family, we've decided to play Margot's most recent message to us for you on the show. Near the beginning of this episode, Waters told me what he'd learned from Margot Kinghorn. She told him that he needed to speak with some of the parents whose children had gone missing, parents who'd never called the police to report any of the disappearances. So that's exactly what we tried to do. Please, we just want to ask you a few questions. None of the parents were willing to speak with us. They were home. They just weren't answering the door or the phone. I was, however, able to make contact with a neighbor who wasn't willing to be recorded and who has asked us to keep their identity hidden. Here's what we learned during that interview. It turns out 
both Margot Kinghorn and the families of the additional allegedly missing children belong, or belonged, in the case of Margot Kinghorn, to a religious organization known as the Family of Freedom. The Family of Freedom is a group related to an offshoot of the Dukabors, known as the Sons of Freedom, an occasionally violent religious fringe group from Canada that has deep Russian roots. The city of Kettle Falls is small, very small, in fact. Although it's technically a city, it feels like a small town. But Kettle Falls is a small town with a secret. A secret that nobody really wants to talk about. Missing children. If they're a cult, they're a harmless one. Mostly. I heard they worship a UFO up there. They're doing something pagan for sure. The children pay the price. They live in those caravans. They leave us alone. They come into town for supplies to get their mail. Yeah, they're nice enough, I suppose. We buy that uh, goat's milk from their stand up near the highway. It's organic. But there's something going on up there at night in those woods. While we were visiting Kettle Falls, we received a call from the Seattle police. A woman had fallen to her death from the Aurora Bridge. The assumption is that she jumped, but the police say that the surveillance camera footage is inconclusive. How do I know what the police know about this incident? Well, they told me when they had me in for questioning. It turns out that right before she jumped or was pushed, the woman on the bridge had been listening to this podcast. She had information written in her notebook about this show. The woman's name was Karen Ryerson. The woman Elliot Waters is convinced was a changeling. You've been listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey. Fairy is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify. Fairy is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver and me, Ryan Bailey. Associate Producers, Carlene Bennett and David James. Executive Producers, Terry Miles and Hollis Adams Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits, at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. For legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Fairy. <laughs>